When it comes to Podmeets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago and loving Hyundai. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to 303-mile range, available two-way charging, and other category-defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5 is one of the most teched-out electric vehicles ever. And as you know, we are tech heads. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250-plus kilowatt DC fast charger. And with the available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car, backyard or side yard. Hyundai, it's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. It's time to tell our Podmeets World listeners that if you're currently tuning in via headphones, it's time you take audio seriously and join the JLab family. JLab offers incredible sound for all of life's moments. It's tech done better. Consumers deserve better than the same old tech they've been stuck with. Instead of high price tags, everyone should have access to new innovations and products they actually want. So JLab thought, hey, why not do something about it? What are you waiting for? Get out there and join the JLab family. JLab.com. JLab your kind of tech. So, Susan is your out wife, of town. Susan. My wife, Susan, is out of town for two days. Mm-hmm. And the second she leaves, I become 12. Oh, man. Otter Pops. Dude, I had Burger King for dinner last night. No, God, no. (laughs) Thank God, no. no. Burger King for dinner last night. I was watching Marvel movies. For the record, I could do all this when she's here. I know. She would have no problem with any of this, but I don't. So right. I was up too late. I was eating McDonald's. I was the the, the Wait, you had Burger thing. King and McDonald's? No, I had Burger King. Okay. I did. I we always joke that um the one of the reasons I don't eat fast food, I don't know if I've told you about this, is because I order so much that I have to invent someone in the car with me. I know, you make something up. So <laughs> I have I never told you this, Ryder? So I'll be like I'll be have. going through the drive thru, I'll be like, Can I get a number one super size? Uh, can I also get a Big Mac and a uh, double cheese? Oh, and what did Steve want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that's why I don't eat it. So last night, I, you know, and oh then you God. also hit an age where you go, I'm not sure my body can take Burger King for too much longer. So there were repercussions. But uh, I, does anybody else have this? Your spouse leaves and you kind of revert to what single life? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like there's definitely there's definitely been times when like I'm like, oh, I got the house to myself tonight. And yeah, suddenly I'm like, you know. 
a, a full bottle of wine gone. And right. I'm like, oh, oh, I'm I'm drunk alone. That, that's that was a night. Uh, but no, because you know, honestly, because because of indie. It means more responsibility when my my right. my, my spouse right. leaves. You know, it's like, oh, I've got to like parent all like because she's she's such the food person in our family. Like she's the cook and she takes care and she loves preparing food and cooking. You know, I'm like the dishwasher guy. So when she goes when she's got a town, I'm like suddenly super stressed about having to cook for Indy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I got to wake up and get what are you going to make lunch and what are we going to eat? And uh, I'm just so bad at that like aspect of life. Um, so that's where most of my energy goes when she leaves. Town. Nice, but no, yeah. I know what you're, say- you're saying though. There's well, yeah. What about you, Danielle? Because I do you ever have moments to yourself, just totally to yourself? I mean, I do occasionally. And and me, the true lover of everything unfun, I (laughs) get so excited to have the house to myself that I clean it, make sure it's super organized and Jensen's stuff is (laughs) off the counter. I do that too. I do that too. I I sleep (laughs) in the middle of the bed. (gasps) Oh, geez. And yeah. And, you know, I probably I like I read a book, you know, (laughs) that kind. I light a candle, maybe things that I'm like, why don't like you said, like, why don't I light a candle when Jensen's around? But like (laughs) things that just feel like you're like I turn my house into a spa because I'm going to be, quote unquote, alone. But really, that only means I'm alone for the probably 40 minutes I'm going to be awake after the children have gone to sleep. Right. And then I go to sleep. But for those 40 minutes, I'm in the middle of the bed with a candle lit and a book and the house is clean, wow. and I'm thrilled. Yeah, that's my alone is really alone. That's the yeah. difference. Like I have the dog, but that's right. I don't have kids or any any responsibility. Right. And right. But then I go a night where I'm like, oh, I'm in the bed by myself. And the second like, night, I'm I like, Susan. I want my wife to come yeah. back now. <laughs> Where's my Susan? <laughs> exactly. Jen, there's a sandwich place that Jensen really likes that I cannot stand. Which I don't like it. Us? I'm not going to. Yes, it is. It's Best yeah, disgusting <laughs> is made on a brick of bread. Oh, I love it. How dare you? <laughs> when there's damn subs and arts subs, you're going to talk about a. I love. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. <laughs> it's so the good. bread is like a brick. <laughs> it is disgusting. I love it. Oh, I have so many good sandwich shops near me, like three or four. And so some do of them we. are brand new. I love, man, I love a good sandwich. Anyway, go me on. too. A sandwich is like my favorite sandwich lunch. Is the a best. good yes. sandwich. Oh. Yeah. The best. And so when, when Jensen doesn't have to think about what I'm going to eat, the first place just, he goes is. Yeah. And, and I felt really validated when one time I was gone, I was at work. And so Jensen, we always make sure that obviously our dear nanny has lunch. We provide her or food. And so one day he said, Miss Delia, I'm going to go to <laughs> would you like anything? And she said, I'll just find something here. And he was like, do you not like And she was like, no. Oh, it's the best. And I was He's like, thank you. He's alone in the house, loving the sandwich place. So have you tried Domingo's up the street? No. Oh, Domingo's will change your life. You wait in line, but you it sa- will change you your life. like Tony Quinn. Oh, 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 you, oh, you, you touch me, we go to Domingo's. You touch me, we go to Domingo's. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. It's an Italian, little Italian shop that makes mm. everything behind the counter. It is so good. Love oh, yeah. it. Do they Worth have cannoli? They have everything. Has great cannoli. I'll give them they credit do. for that. Yes. All well, right. to celebrate the end of season two and the start of season three, we just released three new shirts and they're all available at podmeetsworldshow.com. First up, to celebrate the greatest rapper ever cast on Boy Meets World, we have a fresh boy shirt. 
It's the star himself rapping on front with his name. And I have a feeling our favorite fans are going to be buying this one in droves. His name is Will. He's your host. He's the editor in charge of what co- what's called Video Post. That's right. You see, shooting in the studio is only part one. Because then we bring the picture here and we begin our fun. Yes. I love it. It's literally my it's my favorite shirt. I can't wait to get it's it. It's great. It's great. Second up, we finally have the Sean shirt we deserve. It is in the same style as our Harley shirt. We have Sean Hunter on front. And on the back, it says somewhere in between Gandhi and Soupy Sales. It's in a nice navy blue. It is the perfect way to celebrate our favorite little emo teen. I'm going to I'm going to rock that one, too. It's so great. He was, wasn't he? Kind of an emo teen. That's great. He was. He was an emo teen for sure. And lastly, and right in our obscure wheelhouse, we created the first ever official band shirt for the tongues. Oh, yes. Alan Matthews's high school band that he reunites unsuccessfully in the episode Band on the Run. The front has the tongues logo, which we just made up. And it says four guitars, one sound on the back. It details the Boys Are Back tour with the members Alan Matthews, Mickey Dolenz, Rick Nielsen, and Billy Vera. And it says the tour stops, which are Bethany, Ashley, Paula, Amy, and finally, a sold-out show at the Matthews house. It even mentions the show's opener, JoJo Man and Brother B. So... I mean, these are three. I want all of these. I want these all are of these. three real favorites. <laughs> are all three are available now at podmeetsworldshow.com. Just some real hits. So yeah. go get them now. Oh, I can't wait. And welcome to Pod Meets World. I'm Danielle Fischel. I'm Ryder Strong. And I'm Will Friedle. When it comes to Pod Meets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago and loving Hyundai. If we could, we would take Hyundai to prom. Technically, Hyundai is more visible on this show than Topanga. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to a 303-mile range, available two-way charging, and other category-defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5 is one of the most teched-out electric vehicles ever. Say teched out again. Nope, that was a one-time show. Snooze, you lose. Well, either way, the Hyundai Ioniq 5 is a tech Ford electric SUV. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250-plus kilowatt DC fast charger. So that means your car won't die out like the Matthews family vehicle on New Year's Eve, forcing me to miss out on kissing supermodel Rebecca Alexa in front of all of Philadelphia. And with available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car. Backyard or side yard. Hyundai, it's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by the experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. 
So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. So we are so happy to welcome back Bruh Meets World, our favorite fan-created Boy Meets World recap podcast, which is hosted by Siege and TC, two childhood friends who say they approach the sitcom with a melanin point of view. We had so much fun recapping season one with them. We have brought them back to recap the second season of Pod Meets World with us to let us know how we're doing, what shocked them, what they learned, and maybe bring in some follow-up questions for us. So let's bring in Siege and TC. Every time. It doesn't get any less cool, guys. It doesn't <laughs> How's it going? You. It gets, it's cool every single time. Oh, come on. You just saw us in person. We got to give each other squeeze hugs at oh the live God. show. Which, by the way, Ryder smiled in our photo. I don't know if you guys know he that. He sure See, did. I can't so occasionally, happy. occasionally, he can fake happiness with the best of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, welcome back. We are thrilled to be here. Absolutely. Well, you guys are much further along than us. You guys are (laughs) creeping up into the series finale, right? Yeah, Yeah, we're we're, we're ending season six. Okay, so you're ending. You're almost ending season six. Okay, so we we try to avoid your videos online, not because we don't love you, but because we do not want the spoilers. Spoilers. So could you give us a little heads up? How how what how mad are we going to (laughs) be? Ooh. It's less bad and more. I, I'm very interested, and I feel like so many of our fans are interested to see how you respond to certain storylines. Yeah, there Definitely. is so much depth that you go into, and then there's also a lot of depth that's hinted at and never dived into. Mm. So, I, okay. like so many people are like, we can't wait till the pod gets to your episodes. Oh, <laughs> we're like, we, wow. t- we, we feel the same way. Uh, also, you guys are still learning Shakespeare in college, so get used oh, to that. Nice. Right. <laughs> I love it. So we still have time to start our other podcast that's just the book us, club. the book club podcast. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Okay. How are we not all Shakespearean scholars by this point? You would think. teaching you it every year. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, there's a lot in the future episodes, and I know you guys don't want spoilers, um, but we are... S- the, the, <laughs> trying to figure the out the I love the silence. Yeah, yeah. Because you guys have brought on writers and producers who are like, you know, it was a different time period. We had different ideas of what was acceptable. We did our best. And it's no like disrespect to anyone who was involved with the show, but there are episodes where you're just like, why? Why? Why would you do this? Why would you do this to Topanga? Like, she deserves better. Like, there's so many right. situations like that. 
Oh, okay. wow. And to that point, you guys have had so many writers on that we have kind of like talked a lot of crap about their episodes. <laughs> and I was oh, like, no. oh, no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> They're listening too, by the Absolutely. way. Absolutely. We, we love, love that. Out. I love that. I just can't wait to see Eric get smarter. That's what I'm really right. looking for. That's the journey we know Eric's really on. For. <laughs> it is so funny that you mentioned that because one of the things that T and I were talking about right before we got on here is the different types of intelligence. Like you guys have really brought up this idea of like dumb Eric or dumb Sean. <laughs> dumb and Sean. in my mind, in our podcast, we talk a lot about how it's just different forms of intelligence. Like mm. Sean has street smarts. Like that's yeah. his thing. He's great at business. Yep. And you guys will learn to see that like, if it comes to like a business idea, he jumps in and he's just on it. And even with uh, Eric, he is so creative mm. in ways. And it's like, we love to champion different forms of intelligence. And this sure. show is very much like school is the answer. Right. School is the way that you are measured to be smart. So, like, I, I think you guys will love the journey that both Eric and uh, Sean go on because it's just a different form of intelligence. Okay. Oh, I love I'll that. Buy that. Also, I'll buy that. And also, you know, me and Siege are both neurodivergent. And so it's really easy to kind of see those traits within Sean and uh, Eric's characters as well. That it's right. like maybe they're not dumb. Maybe they right. just are, you know, have a different way of thinking about the world and life around them. Right. Okay. It is interesting, I, though. I mean, we talked about when the I forget is it the pop quiz episode when Corey is also not that sharp, <laughs> or like right. he's getting yeah. like just as bad as grades as sixteens or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. So this is like everybody well, has you know everybody struggles in this entire this universe of Boy Meets World, like except. Tabanga. Everybody else right. is just kind of clueless. Well, Sean corner. had to be explained what school was in that episode as well. Exactly. Yeah. I know. That's what I was going to say. I was going to argue that when when Sean says what to open a book, what? When he says yeah. what about 75 times, I do argue that maybe that's playing on a, a dumb joke, sure. but yeah. I don't I don't mind it. I also well, I also Eric's dumb, Sean's dumb, Corey's dumb. When do we just blame Feeny? <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Also, I did think with that episode, it hit me later, and maybe I actually read a comment on Instagram. Maybe I had read something that somebody was like, Well, we don't know what the sixteen was out of. What if the total test was worth twenty-five? <laughs> And it was like okay. a 16 out of 25 because we don't say whether it's 16 points or 16, like w what what it is. We all so, know what the implication is. I know. We all know. <laughs> well, oh. I'm just trying. I'm trying to find things. So let's get into it. I'd like to start this one the same way we started the last one. Have we in any way during season two ruined any part of the show for you? What, this is me. Um, I wanted to say... While I was thinking about this question, you guys have done such a good job at making this feel like one big family reunion. Like, yeah. I don't think that you've ruined it because constantly it feels like we are just getting to see you reconnect with all of the old staff and yeah. other child yeah. actors, and it enhances it. One of the things I said to T was, we grew up with you watching this show and this pod allows us to continue to grow up with you Aww. maybe not the characters but we are still right. learning life lessons with the people who we've been watching our entire lives so you haven't ruined it you've only continued the series in a way 
great. And the, and the conversations that you are having are things that we and our, you know, as 30 somethings are having ourselves, unpacking yeah. our childhoods, unpacking the things that, you know, shaped us who we are. So in that way, the lessons that we're learning from you now are almost as impactful, if not more impactful than the lessons we got from the show. Oh, I love that. I love it too. Thank you for that. Okay, great. Well, I don't want to delay you guys. You guys are the ones who are here to to question us today. So go ahead and jump right in. Absolutely. I I think one of the things that we had is like in the second season, um, it's funny, you guys have talked very much about how Corey seems to believe that like no one cares about him and yet he's the most popular person (laughs) in school. I feel like Boy Meets World has kind of been that way where you guys felt like, oh, no one's watching. And yet... Everyone's yeah. like, oh my God, this was such an important oh, show. Like, so how has the journey been with like discovering how impactful it's been in the second season? I feel like you guys blew up. Man, that's funny. <laughs> I never even thought about that, but you're right. We we joke, we're like, eh, nobody's what Corey feels like nobody's even knows who he is, and yet he's the most popular kid in school. Um, I think we I mean, I think we when we started doing conventions, certainly, and we got to have those face-to-face conversations with people where they got to say what the show meant to them or what our characters meant to them. I think we realized back then, like, wow, this show really had an impact on people. And I think that's when the conversation started between us about, like, well, why? Why did our show make, like, why was our show so different? Why did it make such an impact? But I don't know. Have you guys, Will, Ryder? I think it's changed a little bit with the pod because... Well, a lot with the pod, but I, because I think the conventions are a very self-selecting group. I mean, those are people that, you know, are, are you know, more than your typical fan. Like they're not somebody right. who casually watched Boy Meets World. They're usually people who are seeking us out to meet us, to take a photo with us or get, you know, get an autograph. And so those are, that, I mean, to, to, to meet those people was obviously like a bit, you know, for me, just acknowledge like, oh my gosh, this, this show... But I feel like the podcast has invited an even wider fan base mm-hmm. of people who just grew up watching the show, didn't really think about it so much, wouldn't necessarily like want to come meet us at a convention, but they'll listen to our podcast and then they have reached out to us either through letters or um, so it has felt like we've I, I, like I'm I'm more aware of different types of Boy Meets World watchers now. Yeah. Like I feel like yeah. at conventions, I always felt like I was kind of meeting the same person or the same type of people, you know, like, <laughs> oh, we're all like the 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 fans, like the people who really know. And now it's like we're getting feedback from people who are like, oh, I like this season. I like a little bit of Boy Meets World, but now <laughs> right. I've been listening to your podcast and, you know, and they have opinions and I, I like that. It's cool. It's, it's cool to think that there's just all you know, there's a whole a wide array of 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 people the out there. The full diaspora of your fandom. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's also I think we talked about this before. When we first started, we were that show that never got any publicity. They kept moving us around. We were at eight thirty. We were at nine thirty. We were at nine o'clock. Every other show that came on the TGIF lineup started to do all this press. It was Melissa Joan Hart all over the place, or it was Family Matters, and and so we just kind of felt like the little show that just kept going. Like I always, yeah. I always said we were the, the younger version of wings and everyone's like, what is wings? And I'm like, yeah, wings exactly. went eight seasons. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. it's, we were, that's why that I, I, I think we always felt like that is because the show really took off in popularity on the second run when it was on what they did Disney channel and then they did um, MTV. And so I think that's when all of a sudden we started to realize, Oh, it was getting really popular. So that kind of sticks with you. When you have that first reaction of, 
Yeah, we're we're on a show and our fans love us, but we're, we'll never be. I mean, I remember it was season seven when TV Guide came down and interviewed all of us, and we were like, "TV Guide's here. They know we're on TV." <laughs> um, so it was. Yeah, I think that stuck with us. That feeling of like we're just that show that keeps going, and we're not super popular, and and that's okay. We're having fun. We're enjoying. And frankly, I think it made for a better product because we were towards the end entertaining each other. Yeah. And I think you could see that we were like yeah. <laughs> just making each other laugh and be, having fun with each other and inside jokes that made it into the show. And I think it made for a better product because we thought we were just entertaining the 300 people that were there mm-hmm. to watch our show and each other. Yeah. Um, and now that so, yeah. you guys have this podcast that you guys are, you know, last time we talked, you talked about how important it was for you guys to like reclaim this narrative and reclaim Mm -hmm. your your part of boy meets world and now you guys are going on tour and you're having these open vulnerable conversations in front of an audience uh is there any nerves going into just like taking the show on the road and having these conversations in front of a crowd yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. but not i think for me at least not so much about having these conversations in front of people or on the road because you know i am an open book sometimes to a fault. Uh, I know writer is that way too. Will is is um, a little more guarded, but he's also very comfortable with creating boundaries. I'm always really proud of him for that, that he is Thank guarded you. and has boundaries that he puts up, but he doesn't refuse to participate in the conversation. He participates to the level that he feels comfortable and he's, right. and, and we respect that and appreciate that. And I love that about him. So I don't think we're worried about having those conversations on the road, but certainly taking the show on the road and figuring out what the show is. And we all take such pride in the podcast, but the podcast is us just having our conversations. It doesn't feel like a ton of quote unquote production and a live show feels like there needs to be a level of production that we will feel very proud of. And so I think the nerves come from not wanting to let people down and wanting to give people a great time and wanting to have a, you know, snazzier production value than maybe Mm -hmm. we have with us having a conversation. I I don't want to speak for all of us, but that's how I feel about it. Yeah, no, yeah. I feel the same way. Um, I don't want to talk about it because I don't like to talk. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't talk about no, live shows. I don't talk about the. I don't talk about live shows. No, I literally, right before you both came on, uh, producer uh, Jensen Carp, husband of this podcast, we were all like, "Hey, how are we getting from city to city?" And we're like, <laughs> "Well, we're figuring it out." So we're right. we're we're. I mean, every live show we've done now, we'll have fifteen or twenty minutes worth of rehearsal an hour before the show starts, and frankly. It gives us the energy when we get out there. We kind of like it. We're nervous before because we're yeah. like, maybe we haven't figured out exactly what we're doing. But then we get out there and the energy takes over and we start yeah. talking and then it's we're good. The thing is, so. the audiences have been so great. Oh, like, the amazing. connection that we feel. And so it's like really like, yeah, I was nervous when we did our show in San Diego. I was just like, what is this going to be? And then we <laughs> walked out there and it was like, oh, these are our people. Like everything yeah. we say, like yeah. they know it's like all of our, you know, this private, what feels like a very private conversation we've been having suddenly feels very public in a wonderful, yeah. like yeah. welcoming way. Like they started yelling stuff out and we're like having conversations with them. Like, <laughs> no, no, so it's fun. the side yard. It's the back. You're like, well, come so on. Fun. I mean, it was, yeah. it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, it was great. You really created like a second community also for like the yeah. show. It's like all the in-jokes of the pod itself you're right like so many people are like team side yard team backyard um like it's it's fantastic to watch and when you attend these shows you can feel that sense of community again it's like one big family reunion that we're all invited to be a part of 
Yeah, well, it was so amazing seeing part. you at the live show, right? When, right when oh. you said, and you guys nailed it. I was like, yeah, oh, they got, oh, it's a Brummie Twirl, guys. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like, I literally right stopped myself so many times. You guys were like, who was that person from that? And I was like, I don't know the answer. I'm like, we will have our own moment to talk with them. You let other people participate. Uh, I love that. <laughs> so cute. When it comes to Pod Meets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago and loving Hyundai. If we could, we would take Hyundai to prom. Technically, Hyundai is more visible on this show than Topanga. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to a 303-mile range, available two-way charging, and other category-defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ioniq 5 is one of the most teched-out electric vehicles ever. Say teched-out again. Nope, that was a one-time show. Snooze, you lose. Well, either way, the Hyundai Ioniq 5 is a tech-forward electric SUV. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250-plus kilowatt DC fast charger. So that means your car won't die out like the Matthews family vehicle on New Year's Eve, forcing you to miss out on kissing supermodel Rebecca Alexa in front of all of Philadelphia. And with available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car. Backyard or side yard. Hyundai, it's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. Jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by the experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves, and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. I was just going to say, to, to kind of segue, you know, um, when uh, Dee Dee was on the show, um, mm-hmm. she discussed how kind of like difficult it was to watch, you know, uh, Danielle and Ryder struggle with burnout towards the end of the show. Now you guys are going on tour. You host multiple podcasts. Danielle has like a thousand businesses. Will's constantly doing voiceover work. Like, how Ryder's do you teaching. guys... 
Yeah, writers <laughs> teaching. How do you guys manage your busy schedules now and prevent yourself from burnout? How do you keep your mental health in place when there's so much going on? That's a good question. <laughs> Ex- for me, Still it's exercise it and a giant calendar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's Bye. my answer. Yeah. I actually feel better being busy. Like, I, I, I feel like I'm much healthier when I'm busy because, you know, so much of my life is is writing and that's like self-discipline and forcing myself. So I actually find I get more done the busier I am. So having the podcast uh-huh. uh, on our plate has been great. Like, I'm like, no, it was, you know, especially like 2020 pandemic not not working and having free time and putting the pressure on myself to write constantly that was harder on my mental health than being busy so i like being yeah. busy yeah yeah i think uh one of the things i'm the most proud of um is that i really do consider myself to be a person who learns from my mistakes and i learned from the mistake of taking boy meets world for granted i mm. learned from that mistake especially through talking it out on the podcast yeah. that like This time when I get to these, like all of the things that I'm doing now, directing, having the hair care company, uh, doing this podcast, going on the road with the guys, doing the live shows, being a wife and a mother to two kids. These are things I dreamt of. I literally Mm -hmm. dreamed of these things and wanted them so badly. And I have them all and I am succeeding at them. And if I were to feel like, oh, I'm just so exhausted. I'm just so burnt out. I'm just blah, blah. I'd be doing the exact same thing I did when I was on Boy Meets World. And I'm just not doing that. I'm going, Uh yeah, I'm busy. Yes, I'm tired. But I am also, this is the life I dreamed of for myself. It's everything I ever wanted. And it is also getting easier. Like Ryder said, I am happier when I'm busier. Um, Also, as my kids get older, they are getting easier. It's not so, it's not quite as demanding. And so I'm just, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. But you know what? I think Ryder, I think one of the things that is, will be a benefit, and you're the one who told me this, one of the benefits of having two is that they really do play together and they're starting to do it already. And so even though they're still very much like, if they have a, their choice, the the person they want to be with is mommy, 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 mommy. The person they want to do everything is mommy. But every now and then, the two of them are off and it's quiet. And I'll think, mm, it's quiet. Something's going on. Something's and I'll turn wrong. the corner <laughs> and they're wrong. just playing with each other. That's awesome. The creepiest thing is them playing quietly. Exactly. <laughs> of, course. Like, of course. Exactly to your point, Danielle. Um, you know, it was so amazing to hear those interviews w- with us when we were kids and to hear that I wanted to be a screenwriter yes. and filmmaker. And yes. it was like such a reality check of like, oh, right. I am. Yes. I have achieved my you dream. Did it. Right. You did it. You did exactly what you wanted. Exactly. And yeah. I didn't even realize that I was vocalizing that the first season of Boy Meets World. Right. But clearly I was. And so, yes, I have to remind myself, like, I've already, I've done it. Like I did, yeah. the, you know, like, and, and I the exactly thing. the same way. I have to be happy and be like, oh, the struggle is that my script is taking a long time to write. Right. I'm writing right. a screenplay. Like right. that's my job And right I make now. a living doing I it. I make a living yep. doing it. Like, yeah. you know, well, not right yeah. now. I'm on strike, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not writing true. anything right now. It's true. I'm on strike. That's true. Well, that's so fantastic. Actually, uh, as you said, learning that your childhood dreams have have come true in that way yeah. uh, i feel very similar i think t and i feel very similar it's like how, <laughs> how are we doing this with the people who we enjoy so often and so much uh yeah t you had another yeah, it just seems like you guys have been able to, you know, really uh, establish gratitude in these years in your career. You're able to kind of gain perspective. You know, you guys have 
kind of started a fraternity of child actors who you guys have brought on to kind of talk about their experiences. Some of them had easier times transitioning um, than others. You know, what it's what has it been like for you guys to kind of invite these larger conversations about child actors and the circumstances that you guys grew up in? It almost feels like trauma bonding in a lot of ways when you have yeah. these people on. So, you know, yeah. what's it been like for you guys? One of the things I love about the, that aspect of this show is that um, just not, like a lot of these people are people that our audience knows, but they're not like hugely famous. You know, they're not like household names, you know, or they're not like all working as actors still like and I love that. I love the diversity of like life paths that we've been able to just in investigate and get to hang out with and like. And these are all people we like a lot of them we know and we like or we haven't talked to for 20 years or sometimes we're still in touch with them. Like Jody, I feel like we've seen, you know, every couple of years. So it's like it just depends on the person. But I just love that. Like for us, it kind of makes sense that this group, we all have this shared either TJF or I don't know. It's just like this one moment in time where we are all in each other's lives. Um, and yet everybody's kind of doing their own thing now. Very different lifestyles. It's fun. Yeah. It's like anything else. There's good and there's bad. Um, it's just that normally the good is very similar to the good of the other child actors experience. And the bad is usually very similar to the other bad. I mean, you get you you find stories that repeat themselves where on both the good side and the bad side, you find the the great feelings you would get when you would be on set and being with your fellow cast members and relationships that you made that helped to create who you were and and helped you grow as a person. And then you find stories about, you know, we constantly hear about the parents who weren't the best parents people on the money, set and yeah. parents take their money and a drug, you know, a drug abuse. You, you, so there's a lot that bonds us both in the good and the bad. And it's something that you, there's a safety in getting back together and talking about it, because as Ryder said, everybody gets to a different place. Um, but we can all look back now as adults and and kind of, you know, bond again over the good and the bad. So it it's great having those conversations. I really do love seeing all these people again. Yeah, I think whenever like you two were talking about being neurodivergent and, you know, when you meet another neurodivergent person and instantly there's a sense but of like, <laughs> OK, we have shared experiences yeah. that if you are not neurodivergent, you do not understand them. You can empathize with me, but if unless you've walked in my shoes, you do not understand what it feels like. Um, being a child actor is is very much the same way. If you have not if you've never done it, you you can empathize, you can learn, but you can't ever really know. And I think it can be that way if you were also a, an incredible gymnast as like yeah, you would sure. meet another gymnast and you'd be like, OK, we know this. We know the quote unquote, the struggle and the highs and the lows. And so I think what's been really um, great about it is that we've been able to have all of these people, like Ryder said, we all have shared experiences. We all have uh, shared, you know, shared histories. And yet you can still see how totally different our lives have turned out, yeah. how different we are as people. You can you can have a shared foundation and it doesn't make you the same as anyone else. And so yeah. I think it's just been nice to kind of peel the the mystery back, um, like sure. peel the peel the curtain back. So you can you know, it really isn't as mysterious as it as it yeah. seems. So it's, I also it's think been really it's the fun. only time we could have done it because. Can you imagine talking to these people 10, 15 years ago? Like the conversation right. would yeah. be so different. Like it yeah. would be different. It's like yeah. so it's like we had to reach middle age, right? Like yes. yeah. we had to get through like our 30s essentially to get to a place where we can be like, all right, we're all everybody's pretty much who they're 
they're going to be at this yep. point, yeah. you know? And so now can we reflect on this period of our life? Like, yeah, I, I couldn't have done it f- even five years ago, I don't think. Yeah. Shared history is a very powerful thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it can be to your detriment. I mean, there, there's there's times where you think of people in your life that might not be the most positive influences, but they're still there because you grew up together or right, because right. you, you I mean, and loyalty. you feel a sense of loyalty and you'll look at some of these people and you might even say, wow, if I met you today, I would see that you were toxic right away. Right. But right. Yeah. hey, we were in fourth grade together, so you're still in my life. So <laughs> shared history can be very powerful. And, and just sitting and talking about it, you do, as Danielle and Ryder both said, you do can kind of peel away the positives from the negatives and you take what you can from it. But yeah, it can be a, it can be a detriment as well. I want to say to that, like part of what makes your pod so important and so helpful is you both are like all, all three of you are so authentic and open and you like answer questions or ask each other questions that I was like, there, there's no way they're going to like be that honest <laughs> yeah. and vulnerable. And, and as you said, I think it's part of like having the maturity and kind of like the distance and reflection. Yeah. But to that note, T and I had a lot of questions about like how being a child star affected you as adults. Cause mm-hmm. listening to this season, we've heard so many stories and you guys even talked about like, for example, like this second season is way more, let's say, uh, touchy. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot more mature content happening in, in a way. And for that, my question has always been like, what was it like being an object of desire at such a young age? Like, mm-hmm. I think Danielle, at one point in time, Blake was on and he said that like a grown man was asking for your autograph. And he was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> so, and like yeah. things like that, where yeah. I'm like, how did that like for each of you, you were each one like team beat and, you know, were, again, objects of desire at such a young age. How did that impact, like, how you feel about yourselves, both physically or like, how did it even affect like your dating life sexuality? Mm, good question. Great question. Who's going to start? Who's <laughs> <laughs> starting that one? I, I mean, I, I, I mean, it, I hated it. I mean, I think I've been pretty open about that. Like, you know, when when I felt reduced to a sort of like, you know, that teen idol thing, it just made me so uncomfortable. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it I, my I've been a serial monogamist my entire life. Like I very and true. I, and I think that part of that was in response to feeling overwhelmed by, you know, the sort of the 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 exposure and the the way that fame became you know that like you know the way the way that basically the way that women approached me or treated me or reacted to me um i I, it made me go inward like it made me shyer than i probably would have been because i don't think i was ever really a shy person but when i found myself in contexts where girls were screaming or there was that vibe that certain like american tradition of like fandom of like you know passing out on the Beatles or whatever like that like specific teen idol thing that I found myself in was very overwhelming and I I just sort of ran away from it as much as possible um and and part part of that yeah I've ended up being very much a serial monogamist in my life like I I find somebody and I'm with them and I commit um so that's I think that's partly in response they get white roses yeah. <laughs> white roses mm-hmm. on Valentine's Day. In a story. Day. <laughs> on Valentine's Day. Well, cool. you want to go? Cool. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, I had a very interesting relationship with it because I came from my town where I was not popular. I could not get a date. Girls did not like me. 
to being on a show where stars wanted to date me. It was really weird. When I finished the first season of Boy Meets World, I went home and couldn't get a date for my prom. So I was in the parking lot with a bunch of hippie kids to go bowling who were younger than me because they weren't didn't have to go to prom. They were like sophomores and we couldn't go bowling because they were wearing Tevas without socks. So they wouldn't rent us the <laughs> shoes. Um, so they smoked, par- you know, smoked pot in the, in the parking lot that night. That's how I spent my senior prom because I couldn't get a date. I was on Boy Meets World and I couldn't get a date. Um, so it was really weird. And like Ryder, I. I would always cover the um, bizarreness of it all by being as big as I could and being the center of attention when then I'd just go home and kind of be by myself. So it wasn't until I met my wife that I was more comfortable being with somebody than I was being alone. I was just always more comfortable being alone. And I would go years, I mean, seven, eight years with just by myself. Uh, so, yeah, it was that it was a weird juxtaposition to me of of wait a second, why? because it put me on guard. It's like, why all of a sudden now are these beautiful women paying attention to me and they want to date me where the girls I grew up with don't want to have anything to do with me? So it must be just because I'm on TV. Right, it which felt inauthentic. Which then That's felt, the it felt for me too. Yeah, yeah, it felt fake. And it was, and it probably wasn't that. It was probably that I was just, it was, you know, a very small version of PTSD from my height, from middle school and high school to then you know, I was able to be more myself when I lived by myself and and, uh, was in Los Angeles and doing what I love. So I was probably more open to the idea and and more um, comfortable in myself and more confident. And so that showed when it came when when I would be around young women. Um, But it it was so weird to me to go from just not having a date to then like, wait, why is Nikki Cox even talking to me? It was really bizarre. And, and it happened Cox. in like a day. Yeah. <laughs> Nikki Cox. Just yeah. I love Hewitt. No yes. deal. <laughs> yes, I know. And, and so it was very, very strange. Um, by the time I was dating love, I was far more comfortable in myself. And 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 she and I had a wonderful relationship. Uh, so that was that was nice. And that was kind of I always considered love the relationship that most people have when they're like 14. Does that make sense? Where it's no, like absolutely. that first pure, we couldn't stand to be more than six inches away from each other. It's like mm-hmm. the normal high school relationship you have. I just happened to have it when I was 19 or 20. Um, but that was normal for me. I did some things in my life very, very early, you know, lighting up a cigarette at 10 years old. And some <laughs> things in my life I found very, very late. Uh, so that's kind of how it affected me. But I, Danielle, as a, a girl and then a woman, it must be to a totally different thing. I'm yeah. so excited to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it it definitely took a lot of I I didn't really process how it affected me as a teenager or how it affected me in my 20s or even in my 30s up until the last few years. And then I was really able to look back on it and and connect the dots. Um, I as we've talked about as a kid, I always wanted to be older. I always wanted to be an adult. I wanted to be seen as an adult. And so getting adult male attention as a teenage girl, felt like um, I didn't think of it as being creepy or weird. I felt like it was validation that I was mature and I was an adult and I was capable of and, you know, and that, that they were seeing me the way I was, not for the number on a page. And in hindsight, that is absolutely wrong. 
And well, um, it's not wrong in, in a key way. You were very mature and yes. confident. Do you yeah, know what I sure. mean? Like you were very advanced in those areas, specifically. Yeah. Like you came across far more mature. Older. I've yeah. always been able to hold a conversation with an adult. I've yeah. always been, I can look you in the eye. I've always been those things. Yeah. But in a romantic male gaze sense, right. I should not have been um outwardly talked about at 14, 15. 16 years old. No. And I was even directly to me. I had, mm. you know, I had people tell me they had my 18th birthday on their calendar. I had <sighs> I had a male executive um when I I did a calendar at 16 and he specifically told me he had a certain calendar month in his bedroom. And I at the time Although the first thought when when I heard like that, my first thought was a little like, oh, the immediate thought after that was, yes, because I because we are peers, because we're peers and and this is an acceptable. And this is how you relate to peers. And this is how yeah. you relate to peers. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what it ended up doing for me is that while I was on the show, because the majority of people I spent my time around were, and I split my time between my regular high school. I had my regular high school boyfriends. Everybody heard me tell the story about my high school boyfriends, but they've also heard me talk about, you know, dating Jonathan Taylor Thomas and and then, you know, obviously Lance Bass. And so I had a little bit of both. After Boy Meets World ended, I was also, I have been my whole life, mostly a serial monogamist. But what it really did um, was it made me bad at boundaries. I was so I was so focused on not wanting people to think that I was that I thought I was too good for them, Mm -hmm. that I had absolutely no expectations of how you're supposed to talk to me, of how you're supposed to treat me. I would stick it out for the sake of sticking it out because I didn't want anyone to think I thought I was better than them or that Mm. they were not good enough for me. And it wasn't until I was in my late 30s that I went, okay, I've had failed relationship after failed relationship and I could easily point the finger and be like, well, that's because this guy was this and that's because this guy was this. But at the end of the day... I'm the one doing the selecting and I'm the one picking these people. And what am I doing wrong? And I really then it was during Girl Meets World that I took that time to say, you need to figure this out um, because it's you. And it's during it was during that time that I really realized how few boundaries I had. And I started setting up boundaries. And, you know, we've talked about it before. One of the, the biggest light bulbs that went off for me is how much easier it is to hold a boundary than it is to knock them all down and then expect them to be picked back up again. Once you cross a boundary, once you, let's use a totally hypothetical example. Once you are having a conversation with a dear friend at work at the water cooler, and then you start talking about your marriage and maybe we have a problem in our marriage. And then they say, oh, it's so bad. You know, it's too bad. We should get dinner sometime. And then you go to dinner and then you talk about your problems in your marriage with a friend over dinner. And then next thing you know, I don't know how it happened, but suddenly I'm sleeping with this person. <laughs> and and it just, I don't know. I didn't intend for it to happen. Well, it's like there was a series of boundaries that were knocked down that led to that point. It didn't happen overnight. And so if you can say, okay, before I enter this new work relationship or friendship or whatever it's going to be, I'm going to set clear boundaries for what is acceptable and what's appropriate. And then I'm just not going to knock them down. It's much easier to maintain those. So 
that, but that was, you know, I 37 years in the making. That's so fantastic. There's so much about what you guys have talked about um, in terms of identity and sexuality, which I kind of felt like was a through line, not just for season two of Boy Meets World, but also season two of your podcast, mm. kind of understanding, um, you know, how sexuality was thrown on you at a young age, but also trying to reclaim your identity. And even the guests you've brought on have kind of talked about, you know, um, you know, wanting to be seen for more than the characters they were portrayed or wanting to be seen for more than just, you know, these ideas that were thrown at them at a young age, you know, um, working as child actors, it seems as though it's been, it was, it was difficult to navigate child and adult relationships when you're working with adults as your peers. Um, I guess I, I'm trying to figure out how have you, what, what lessons did you guys learn getting out of that? And how have you been able to kind of educate the next generation on how to <laughs> navigate those waters easier? I mean, you're working on Girl Meets World, you know, what advice would you give Sabrina Carpenter for how to, you know, balance those relationships? That's a good, very great question. Anybody want to <laughs> jump in? Question. Go ahead, Danielle. <laughs> okay. I am, um, it's such a fine line to walk because We've all talked about it, um, writer Will, myself, and it, uh, how sets operate in ways that most normal workplaces would never. There's a lot of actors <laughs> in general are touchy-feely. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, coming in for the day and seeing each other and hugging immediately and then hugging again before you go to lunch and hugging again when the day is over and then 12 hours later you see each other and you hug again and you give each other piggyback rides to the set and and Talk there's about just being a, a family and how you're all yeah. part of this and together. we are a family mm, yep. and it's hard because i do think of writer and will as my family i they are family to me for better or worse i will love them no matter what they are my family but I, I, and sets talk about it all the time. Oh, we're building this family. We're building this family. No, you are professionals at a, at a, at a workplace. And the truth is when this show is over within a couple of years, you're probably not all going to be at, e at each other's birthday parties or at Easter or at Passover at each other's houses. That's what family does. You have, you see each other regularly. You, you call for advice after the show ends, these relationships will probably start to fizzle because that's just naturally what happens unless you form very deep bonds with people. Um, and so it is a very fine line to walk where you don't want to seem like the person who's saying, I'm not your family, stay away from me. And now I'm cold and a witch or, you know, uh, being rude. But I also do not want you to feel as though you have to treat me like the family member that I truthfully am not. So that is, it is a fine line to walk. And I think as adults, it is your responsibility to not cross those boundaries. It is your responsibility to set the walls of, yes, I am here for you and want you to feel comfortable coming to me. And you should trust me um, because I am a trustworthy person. So I'm going to prove that to you. But I also, uh, I also need to maintain a, a, you know, I don't know, the appropriate boundary that an, an, a 27 year old or a 30 something year old woman should have with a 15 year old girl or boy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. it's perfect. It's it's so it was so obvious on our set how generational it was, too, mm -hmm. because the person who set the best boundary was Bill. Bill yeah. would come in. He would 
uh, be there on time. He'd know all of his lines. He'd spend the vast majority of time in his dressing room. He would come out for rehearsal. He would be very kind when we were there for the most part. I mean, he could be a little bit of a curmudgeon. We all know Bill is Bill. A little grumpy. Uh, a little grumpy occasionally, but we loved him more for it. Uh, but it, you, the lines, as Daniel was saying, they're not just blurred sometimes. They're obliterated in really, mm. really horrible ways. I mean, when you're sitting there on a set and a 45 or 50-year-old man comes up and elbows you in the ribs and then gives one of these to Danielle, like, hey, are you looking at this? And she's 14. That's common. That used to happen um, all, all the time. The time. Talking and about see how hot the guest stars are. Hot the guest stars are. Oh, the skirts yeah. aren't going to be and short like in enough. In my mind, yeah, it's because they're my age. So right. for me, so it would be like a normal, normal conversation. But in retrospect, I'm like, that person was 45 having that conversation yeah. or 30 something. That's why Girl That's Meets World threw up. me. Girl Meets World threw me the most because you saw, uh, you know, I would get there. And again, I got to look at it from a, I was, I was not the frog in the pot. I got to come in and occasionally kind of look at the entire thing that was happening. And you saw a lot of those traits where it was you'd walk in and, you know, uh, somebody 13, 14 would be sitting on somebody's lap who's 35. And it's and again, there's nothing overtly sexual about it, but it's still just inappropriate. You're as Danielle said, if you walked into a bank and two people there, there's a 35 year old man holding a 13 year old girl and they both. I mean, it's like somebody would go that. That unless they're related, that's not right. Mm-hmm. But because you're on a set, you know, it's all totally normal and that's the way it's gonna be. And you, know, you hear adults talking about their sex lives and kids, and it's just it's really weird. Um, I hope that's getting better. I don't know if it is. I, I think it is because you know, you have intimacy coaches and you have a lot of different things that we didn't have at the time. So you hope there's a progression to what's happening. But there are some very and as an adult, and Daniel's hundred percent right, it is it's completely Completely on the adults. It's not for the 13-year-old girl to say, wow, I shouldn't run up and jump on somebody's lap because that's inappropriate. It's for the man to go, no, no, no. Hey, I like you a lot, but why don't you sit over there and we'll have a conversation? It's just not appropriate. And you don't see that nearly as much as you should. Uh, So it was. It was very strange. When it comes to Pod Meets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago and loving Hyundai. If we could, we would take Hyundai to prom. Technically, Hyundai is more visible on this show than Topanga. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to a 303-mile range, available two-way charging, and other category-defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ioniq 5 is one of the most teched-out electric vehicles ever. Say teched-out again. Nope, that was a one-time show. Snooze, you lose. Well, either way, the Hyundai Ioniq 5 is a tech-forward electric SUV. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250-plus kilowatt DC fast charger. So that means your car won't die out like the Matthews family vehicle on New Year's Eve, forcing you to miss out on kissing supermodel Rebecca Alexa in front of all of Philadelphia. And with available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car. Backyard or side yard. Hyundai, it's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by the experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. One of the things I've been thinking about based on all of you know the interviews and the conversations we've been having, in particular with season two and where we're making out all the time <laughs> and stuff, is that there is something um, intrinsically exploitative about child acting. Just mm. intrinsic mm. to the, the, you know, you're, you're taking somebody whose brain is not fully formed, whose identity is not fully formed, and you're putting them in a position to perform a role, to do something to, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, some sort of song and dance that they wouldn't do otherwise, you're putting them in. The, and so the, the, I, I, you know, I think the goal should be to recognize that exploitative nature and to counterbalance it as much as possible, right? Like create a safe space for as possible for these kids, provide as much security, provide as much guidance when it comes to studio teachers or producers or whatever, or directors, and and try and make that as good of and 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 affirming an experience as possible. Because the reality is you wouldn't be making out with this person, but you're going to because it's your job. And you know, that's at 13 your 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 job is kissing another thir- like that's a weird thing that is something right. th- there's something somewhat exploitive about that like no matter what um and that doesn't mean it's bad it's just i've been recognizing that through this process like oh like we didn't think it was bad and it, i don't think it really was that awful for most of us during at the time but right. in retrospect it is a little weird you know, yeah, it's yeah. a little different. It's not your typical high school experience and so we have to take that into account and like recognize that as part of our journey it's also like I think what's so great is that um, both in the pod, you guys, of course, are handling like these really heavy topics, uh, and in in the show, you were always handling really heavy topics right. in a way that felt relatable. Like I know you guys just got off the last few episodes of season two, and yeah. to me, like I've talked about like that episode where Chet comes in mm. and Chet is so charming and he's so like lovable, but there's all of like this really toxic parentage um that goes along with chet i think that it's such a that's what you were asking like what made ourselves different i was like i think the ability to kind of bring these kind of imperfect characters and the duality of something like 
a child star is a great opportunity, but it also exposes you to a lot. Or again, you can have someone as charming, an adult as charming as Chet, um, be something that everyone's drawn to, but at the yes. exact same time, he's doing awful things. No, we talked about person. it. We just we yeah. just covered that episode. You know, those that those two episodes really the the end of the season and. Um, yeah, we had that exact point, which is that mm-hmm. Chet is so, and that's what's so great about the writing and the performance yeah. is that he's so likable while he's just bailing on his kid in the worst possible way. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear, I want to talk season two. Like, I think we need to, yeah, we yeah, need to yeah, talk yeah, season sure, sure, two sure. because <laughs> I'm so curious, like, you know, having been through it, we haven't, I, we haven't quite had the conversation of like a macro view of season two. Do you guys Definitely. have like a shorthand or like a way that you think of season two? Do you have a, a feeling? I, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely feel that season two is an exploration of identity, not just as, um, you know, Sean and Corey try to navigate through who they are in high school and trying to find, you know, you know, am I cool? Am I this? Am I that? But also the show in general is like, mm. who are we? You know, yeah. what's our identity as Boy Meets World? You know, well we're, put, we're doing yeah. this massive change from season one. And it just feels like that there are similarities happening on screen and off screen in terms of searching for your voice and identity. Wow. You're half fifth. You're half uh, happy days and half uh, like the old season of Boy Meets World. You yes. know, like, where you had like Harley uh, somehow in the fifties, but like all yeah. of these modern, <laughs> uh, right. modern clothes and modern problems. It was a really fun exploration um, season two to just kind of see the world expand. You know, like if we're talking about Boy Meets World, season two is really where his world starts to expand we get a little less of the family which is really sad yeah. but it absolutely brings in so many different characters and diff- like the guest stars that you guys brought on was because you had so many storylines that had really good um relations for Corey to interact with yeah, yeah. we at the beginning of season two we uh felt what we called Drop shock. I think Will's the one who came up with drop shock. Did you guys also experience drop shock coming into season two? And if so, when did that wear off for you? Okay. So, speaking as a lifelong fan of this show, no, not at all. Because I the transition like i know that it was shocking for you guys maybe as actors or especially watching it now but being that demographic i was like yeah go to school like make this relatable to me talk about the teachers talk about the faculty like those were all like you know you guys were kind of mentioning how the sex stuff was you know awkward but there's also some truth to the fact that these are the conversations that kids are having at this age and for to be a kid at that age i was like yeah like how do i say hi to a girl Right, right, right. Like right, all of these yeah. things. So you guys are, uh, you guys matured a lot in the season, but it reflected the, you know, what your audience was maturing into as well, I think. Right. Okay, good. Also, I do think even if you weren't having those conversations, you were curious about those conversations. Yeah. You wanted to watch other kids talk yeah. about them yeah. because that's how yeah. you learn. You like to think as you get older that you're, Basically, every thought wasn't consumed by sex when you were 13, 14. No, it was. We forget, yeah. But it It was. was. In some way or another, the conversation was about kissing or how far you went, what base you were on. You heard, I mean, those are things you heard all the time. So that was, I think we, I'll speak just for myself. I think I came at season two a little more high and mighty where it was like, that's not what kids talk about when it's like, that's exactly what kids talk about. That's exactly what it is. And it took me some episodes to be like, no, this is actually what it's like. And it's, I'm, I'm I'm being a little self-aggrandizing and, and and a little on, you know, up on my own pedestal. Like this is just caught up in the age of season one. 
You That's know, it too. That, yeah, yeah. That yeah. wasn't as much of a reality. It was more right. like, do you like a girl or maybe right. you kiss a girl? Whereas right. like season two was like, you're pairing up, you're making out, going yeah, to the dance. Yeah, which is, like, which is you know, true. Which yeah. is totally true. I was talking yeah. to friends about that and they they were reminding me of stuff where they're like, dude, don't you remember the parties we would have in seventh grade? I was like, the ones I wasn't invited to? And they're like, yes. <laughs> they, they goes, but we would have them where, you know, they're it was like making out or learning different ways to kiss or it was like, you know, so apparently this was all normal. I just yeah. blocked it out or wanted to think I'd outgrown it. But yeah, yeah. it's very strange. To T's point, season two is also really heavily about um, how that age of like 13, 12, 13, you're trying on different identities. Like the idea yeah. that Corey is constantly being like, am I cool enough to to be here? Or um, what does it say about Sean that he is invited to this party and I'm not? Like there is so much of like, try even Ingrid coming in and being like, hey, yeah. this is who I was, but I want to be cool. And I feel like that's, again, so relatable yeah. to what kids that age are going through. Just like trying to find find out who do I want to be like even when they're interviews there's like this innate understanding of like what you want but like how do I express that authentically yeah, yeah. the characters you know seem to be seeking outside validation which is something that's so typical of that age group too right. you know how do I find meaning and purpose it's, it's outside validation so you see Corey mm. being like let's start a band let's do this let's do that let's try to win over let's take over a radio show because people you know it, right. it's all to kind of get the approval of those around him um, which right. is That's very that reflective is of that overall, age group sure like, trying to be the wrestler he's trying like, to be is yeah yeah, he's, yeah. yeah. interesting Just, do you, you think know. there were any episodes we were too hard on or or an episode that we like particularly loved that you guys are like mm, that's not a great one it's actually funny to me there are episodes where there are lots of moments where you're like i like this one i was like we did not like that episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to like see the difference because you also know like the behind the scenes so i think like your experiences mm -hmm. really shape like i can't remember i'm gonna see if i can I've got a remember. recap of all the episodes if you want to, if you have any. But there was one episode where uh, writer was like, I don't know if I liked this episode. And then you took a step back and you're like, oh, actually, I did like the episode. I didn't like, like, uh, what was going on behind the scenes mm. at the time of the episode. And like, that kind of like, took over. And that really helped because I'm like, oh, boy, we are drastically different opinions on, yeah. on this storyline. Yeah. And yeah, I mean. To that point, there was uh, episodes like The Beard, for example, where I was just like, oh, we had major problems with that episode. But you guys seem to have found things that you enjoyed about it, which also changed my perspective of it as well. Um, oh. So it's kind of nice to hear those different perspectives, because I think like I, I say The Beard just because that was the episode we rated the lowest when we did our recap. <laughs> it was just right. this idea of just like, go watch this girl while I figure out if I like I her know. or not. Was, yeah. uh, it, in fact, you know, we do kind of like a rating system for every season and season two was like just beat by season one for us because of how like the women were kind of treated throughout the show and mm -hmm. things like that were kind of knocked it down so it, it's 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 trying to find you know the the highs and lows and appreciate things for what they were regardless i agree you know, man the time I, I honestly we i think we started pulling back our because when you realize like that that there are there are like so for me i was looking at the list and that the my favorite episodes are all the ones where there is a female that comes into Corey's life who is really dynamic and interesting so tk with her episode yeah. the wendy episode breaking yep. up is really really yeah. hard to do and uh uh turnaround 
And each one of those are, you know, sorry, Danielle, they're non-Topanga Corey <laughs> relationships. But what's great is that they, the storyline is driven by a character with a fully developed, whereas the other episodes like the beard or the band episode or um, uh, even the president run, like these, yeah. the, or, and then and the one we just talked about with you know, Corey becomes a shock, the thriller and filler. It's like girls are literally props for, right. for Corey and Sean. And they're just sure. like, did we get the girl? Did you use this girl? Did you, and, you know, and that, you know, I, we just stopped talking about it. Cause I, I feel like we didn't want to hit that too hard in our recaps. You know, like when you reach the beard, it's like, well, that's just the way this episode is going to go. Like, it's not, I, worth, you know, like, I would also on. argue though, Ryder, that like thrill it and fill is a perfect example. Other than our core cast, the guys were props too. Right. So yeah. it's like, you know, all the wrestlers, they didn't have flushed out backstories. Hey, big, good looking wrestler guy named Savage. You know? <laughs> I mean, so it's like we, we yeah. focus on right, the right, fact right. that the, the women were, were kind of, one, you know, one dimensional, not even two dimensional. They were one dimensional. But right. a lot of the guys were, too. They would guest stars that would come in. And if you weren't a Griff or a Frankie, it was like, we don't care about your backstory. Say your lines. Get us to the next point of the show and we'll go from there. Right. Um, so I think uh, that was more pervasive. we didn't talk about them in terms of dating. Like, you know, no, I that's mean, true, too. No. Like the well. characters themselves were reducing women to like candy, like literally oh, sure. candy. Of your name yeah, candy. Of course. And of like, course. I want you and you come with a jacket and like that. Yeah. No, it's one it. thing for the character to be reduced, which was true, but also for us as the main characters to be consistently reducing women to, sure. you know, getting them yeah. or not is yeah. was pretty crappy. Yeah. Oh, I you know, I'm curious because you guys have had writers, producers, you know, come on and, you know, they, they kind of get really matter of fact, like, hey, there's only so many pages that we can fill. Like, totally. you know, there's all of these uh, circumstances that kind of shaped the stories that were being told. I'm curious, like, how has, you know, uh, rewatching these episodes, having these conversations with the creators, you know, shaped and you guys, you know, going through and doing your critique. How has this shaped your idea of story structure and how you, you know, like writer, you, you write screenplays, like you are now analyzing, um, you know, a television show almost yeah. like it's your part-time job now. So totally. like, how is this, in like, how is this, you know, impacting your, the rest of your careers? I'm, I'm mostly, I'm mostly very, I'm impressed with our writers, like, you know, mm. and I'm impressed with how consistently well structured these stories are like, no, I, I mean, I think yeah. that what's, what's both. I think as maybe a strength and a weakness of season two is how um, how uh, uh, multi personality it is. Like you know, the tone is just all over the place. Like mm -hmm. you have episodes that are such romps and farces where nothing is supposed to be taken seriously, and then you have like where the season lands with Sean and his dad and Turner, like which is taken so seriously. And I know that that's kind of the boy meets world thing. And and and. So I don't know, like, you know, from episode to episode, it's 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 a little like, whoa, wh which mode are we in? But within the episodes, they're very well structured for that mode. And they mm -hmm. actually are pretty consistent within the, the individual episodes. So even when, like, I didn't love an episode because it's a little too farcical for me, I have to acknowledge that when it delivers what it promised, you know, the thriller and filler yeah. is absurd. And it gets yeah. and it delivers all the things that people want from an absurd ridiculous you know if I, or like danger boy which i thought was ended up being a great episode you know the fair or the roller coasters ridiculous but fine like you know you just you go with it um so i don't know man i i'm i'm impressed with the show i think the writing is 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 pretty solid um for the most part um besides the you know some of the things we, we've talked about like when, with the female characters and whatnot like in general like our show is is pretty pretty darn well written 
Yeah, it yeah. is. I, I think sometimes people have like I know, for example, by hook or by crook, um, where Eric is has the tutor who gets, you know, tries to get him to cheat. And we it's the Ben has finals episode. And yeah. we talked about that. And we were like, wow, it's so surprising that when Ben was gone, they didn't lean into Eric as a comedy tool and that the episode actually took a serious turn. And I saw a lot of criticism online about a lot of comments on Instagram that were like, I can't believe they didn't like this episode. And the truth is, I don't think we felt like we didn't like the episode. No. It was <laughs> more like it. an observation from us that it's it was just exactly what I said. Interesting that in my mind, uh, I would have thought without seeing any of the episodes, it had I not seen them, I would have looked back and I would have thought, well, of course, when Ben's not going to be there, it's going to be an Eric goes crazy. Right. We have some hysterical Eric comedy episode. And then it's the polar opposite of that. And it's beautiful. It was a great episode. And Eric, uh, Will did such an amazing job. And I said that. But it was funny because I walked away from reading some of the comments on Instagram going, wait a minute, did we... Did we act as though we strongly disliked the episode? Because that wasn't, I don't think, the way any of us felt. We were just no. more like, oh, so interesting. What a choice. Um, yeah. And it was it was fine. And there were some awkward moments. Like, you know, Ben in bed with you. Oh, was just, there was like, for yes, that storyline was, thrown yeah. Together. yeah, those two scenes, for sure. But as, yeah. a, as a whole of the episode, yeah. we did, we did yeah. definitely comment about how weird that was. But like the yeah. whole of the episode, it wasn't a bad episode. And we actually, yeah. we actually really enjoyed it. But I did think that people, I thought, oh, wow, we really... The fact that we even brought up that it was a different choice to not do a big farcical Eric episode made people think we were saying we disliked it. Which yeah. we didn't. Yeah, no. It's, yep. And it's also, we, you know, we we don't, throw, you know, we, we don't often compliment Michael Jacobs enough, I think, because, uh, you know, our writing staff was phenomenal, but it all started with Michael and Michael knows family sitcom. And it, yep. it is a very specific, it's not even just a niche uh, uh, on television, but it's a niche within sitcom to do a good family sitcom. And Michael knew the tone and really knew what to push and what not to push. And there's times you can tell he was finding it. I mean, season two, uh, just, just like you were saying, is is a lot of it is trying to find the tone and find itself and find the show and find the characters as we are all, all trying to do that. So are the writers and the producers. But Michael really, really knows this genre and is very, very good at it. And I think it started to really show in season two. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. funny that you guys said that because... Uh, with season two, there are lots of episodes I remember listening to you where you guys are like, oh, we found our rhythm. We we like, you know, like you guys kind of just felt like you messed or you really understood what kind of show you were making. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there are moments like even as listeners, uh, I am impressed that they were able to kind of take something like uh, what is it? Um, God, I'm blanking right now on Harley, Harley's yeah. departure and then turn that around and give us Griff. Yeah. And give yes. us a character that actually made sense for the space. And uh, I'm I'm totally on your team that TK, I, I want to see a world where TK is, just takes that place. But they were able to kind of turn it around and make it make sense for the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, they rehired someone who wasn't 45 years old. So that helps. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's helpful. And uh, God, what a, what a great character. Also, uh, you know, I just said Michael, and, and I mean that about Michael, but David Kendall was also there in, in season two. And David Kendall's another yep. one who... Really, after coming off of Growing Pains and everything else, with somebody else who oh, really bro. understood yeah. sitcom as well. Um, so yeah, we had we had the right team together, and and it showed. I mean, it really did show. And I think that 
Harley Griff is a perfect example of that because it so easily could have just disappeared and we never saw it again. But all of a sudden in comes Adam Scott with this character that's phenomenal and so nuanced and so doing things like the massage table in Feeney's classroom. And it's just it was great to watch. So, yeah, that was that was fun. When it comes to Podmeets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago and loving Hyundai. If we could, we would take Hyundai to prom. Technically, Hyundai is more visible on this show than Topanga. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to a 303-mile range, available two-way charging, and other category-defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5 is one of the most teched-out electric vehicles ever. Say teched-out again. Nope, that was a one-time show. Snooze, you lose. Well, either way, the Hyundai Ionic 5 is a tech-forward electric SUV. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250-plus kilowatt DC fast charger. So that means your car won't die out like the Matthews family vehicle on New Year's Eve, forcing you to miss out on kissing supermodel Rebecca Alexa in front of all of Philadelphia. And with available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car. Backyard or side yard. Hyundai, it's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewelry that makes you look like the gem or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly when it comes to style and luxury ebay gets it they're making sure the things you love are checked by the experts not just any experts specialized experts real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience so when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee shop with confidence every inch stitch sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection that's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves, and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. Hey, you want to get into some superlatives? Because I feel yes, like absolutely. That is... I wanted to roll into that. Do you guys have favorite episodes for a favorite episode of the season? Mm. Well, Ryder mentioned some of his, but do you want to do you want to spell them out, Ryder? Yeah, just the th- I think the Sister Teresa turnaround and um, 
uh, though breaking up is really, really hard to do. I think breaking up is really, really hard to do. I mean, it's such a good one. It's such a good one. And I just, yeah, I, you know, obviously the old man thing is just has such a place in my heart. (laughs) Like I love that scene so much, but it seems like it's, has a, a similar place in everyone's heart. So I feel like that speaks volumes for that episode. And, um, and then I, I do, I just loved, um, I, I love the, the Wendy dynamic and the socks and Corey. I don't know. It just worked. It was just, uh, to me, that was like by far the best episode of the season. I, I don't disagree. I thought that was a great episode. Um, I thought for me, Eric wise, uh, I really liked danger boy. I liked the kind of working with Tony really for the first time. And I thought the seeing, uh, Corey and Feeney together and, uh, Corey, the, the Corey breaking down and just starting to cry out of nowhere is arguably my favorite moment so far of the entire show. (laughs) It was so so great. That moment was just, it was so good. And so, and then for me, just because it meant a lot to me and I really enjoyed it. And it's one of those moments that I talked about where, where else do you get this experience? Having Nancy Kerrigan skating around you when you're (laughs) on a frozen pond in uh, Lake Placid is pretty wonderful. So those, that would, that would, those would be my answers for season two. Yeah. Um, the last two episodes of the season are arguably my two most favorite of the series so far. Um, Career Day and Home are just, I absolutely love them. Um, but honorary mentions to some of my other favorite episodes, Wake Up Little Corey is something that I, I really yes. remember. Um, so for me, like as an actor and as the person doing it, I, I liked that episode. Yeah, I liked doing episode that episode. Um, we, uh, actually... On, when we did our season two recap, that was the one that was the highest rated for us as well. Really? Uh, specifically okay. because we really enjoyed how it was, um, you know, it was a conversation about consent. It was a conversation yeah. about, you know, sexual accountability in ways that we just thought was really ahead of its time. Yeah, I really like that episode. Sister Teresa, breaking yeah. up is really, really hard to do. Um, and then, like I said, career day and home. So uh, I agree with Will and Ryder, though. Um, ben breaking down, cry- <sighs> crying in that scene during Danger Boy is... Everything's great. I, just, I don't know. I, just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so, so funny. Good. Also, Corey falling out of the tree, the tree. during home. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, my God. Some of my... Some of the <laughs> biggest laughs for me are those me two too. moments um yeah. so yeah i you know it really leads to my my next question and i want to see your answers because i i have like a very strong answer but i want to see if any of you have the same who is your favorite new character this season because you got mm. again lots of guest stars who do you think is like your favorite oh new gosh. character that was added to the story there's so many to in choose our from. personal lives, like, is that supposed to go in as well? Or are we just <laughs> I mean, talking sure. character for the show? <laughs> there was okay. so many new characters. Because I, I was going to say Griff, but in reality, Mr. Turner was introduced this I know. Season. Mr. Yeah. Turner He's was introduced. clearly my favorite. Me like, too. Yeah. I have to agree. Yeah. I have to agree. Mr. Turner is... What an addition. Um, and and yeah. talk about world expansion. Just that yeah. one character alone expands so many different things. It expands the school and it expands home life for both Corey and especially then Sean. So yeah. world expansion, uh, uh, Mr. Turner. But then laughs wise. I know who you're going to say. Joey the rat. Yeah, I was going to say Blake. Yeah, Blake yeah, yeah, is so good. He's so oh, good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I Ugh. No one has made me laugh more on the show than Blake Sennett. Yep. That's how gets out there. He's got the whole thing with the ears. And I, it's, I just he's love it. It's a miracle. Yep. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. When what we talked to you guys, guys last, 
when we talked to you guys last year, you were really um, disappointed about Minkus leaving. I'm curious, yeah. how do you feel like he would have done in this in this new environment? Like if he had stuck around for season two, I think he would have done amazing. It yeah, would have been great. He was so good. It would have just gotten bigger and better and and more integrated and more nuanced. And like so, basically, he would have been able to take all the Alvin parts, right? So that's like yep. three or four episodes where he would four. have had major roles just as being the nerd character, but then also just clearly the way Lee attacked acting and, and and good scenes they would have given him so much to do and yeah, he would yeah. have just chewed the scenery and had yeah. so much fun and would have and lee i think with the, the bullies, show would have been better come on the show would have been yeah. lee with it. the bullies is yeah. is that just the visual alone is worth it is worth a laugh that last 30 seconds so i mean i would love yeah. to have seen that yeah he would have been great who is your y'all's favorite character in season two uh, so Mr. Turner, we have like we talked about. We have a whole segment called "Turned On by Turner." Like I have <laughs> to acknowledge it. <laughs> like ooh, just posted the scene of him in like the A shirt. Yes, and, and I'm like, like we can't deny, like, <laughs> like you, got, you just got to. <laughs> Tony give it Quinn's up a beautiful man. He absolutely, is. he still man. is too. And those those tight pants. <laughs> uh, That's what's so funny. You guys were uh, noticing like the ties the entire season. I didn't but see every a time we watched, <laughs> Siege would be like, look. Look at the cup, the the cup, the booty jeans, though. But in terms of laughs, I just like I have such a place in my heart for Chet. Like I, I feel like he Chet comes in and mm. just he's so impactful. And I like this is one of those new characters where I'm like I'm so glad they kept it around. Yeah, because yeah. he changes the trajectory of the show but does so in such a way that like i i've talked to this about t all the time i know a chet and i just like you Um, know that character so well you're like oh completely charming people will totally buy into you no one really believes what you're selling but they don't care and that's so dangerous but also (laughs) so so real and that's why it's one of my favorites and he like like blake he brings that to life like oh, his God, performance so is what makes that work because he's we kind so of talked about it like the whole idea of a, a lovable deadbeat dad like i can't think of another show that successfully pulls that off and that because of his heart and his performance that he brings to it he doesn't play it as a deadbeat dad he plays it you know sincere and with love and it's yeah. just it's um yeah it's his performance is the thing that really just makes it stand out yeah. And one of your funniest guests that you had on this yeah. season. Like, so, sure. much, so much joy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I barely heard what you guys just said because all that's going through my head is turned on by Turner. That's me. <laughs> we do that. <laughs> Song. Oh, I'm going to be saying cup the booty jeans. Cup the booty jeans. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, do you guys have any final thoughts on season two for us? Final thoughts on season two um, of your podcast. I just have to say, love everything you guys have done. Um, not only just bringing in the guests and the the cast and the crew, um, but also you guys brought on a therapist. You guys are you guys got <laughs> interviewed by your past selves. It's just been the coolest season, and I, your entire team is doing such a great job because every time I'm just like, oh, like yeah, that's what I want, and I didn't know I wanted it. You guys do it again, and so it just Aww. keeps on happening where you guys, as fans, are serving us in ways that I didn't think were were possible. So I'm I'm loving what you guys are doing with season two. Thank cool. you. When you guys go to season three, we would love if you guys could get Eli on. We would love if you guys Scheduled. could Larissa Olay. <laughs> oh please, like anything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I think we'll be able to accommodate that. Oh, so yeah. Riverside is in season three. Is she in season yeah. three? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Three fifteen. Oh, Heart is a lonely hunter. Okay, also, great. I'm really excited. Like, if you again, we don't know if you can, but Wesley Jonathan uh, is one of the very few uh, guests of colors that you have. Yes, and in season three, he's there. So I don't know what he's doing, but like, we're really like okay. he's in three ten the out Train there. of Fools episode. Right. Great. <laughs> okay, I love that. Absolutely. We will do that. And so I asked if you had any final thoughts on season two. Do you have any final questions for us um, before okay, we? I have one last question, yeah. and it's it's just something that I was curious about um you guys talked about just like the dynamics of working with adults on set how you know uh how much of a struggle it is to some kind sometimes to find those boundaries especially when you're 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 young mark blutman was on and he kind of mentioned how he had challenges with creative freedom specifically working with michael and last season david told the story about like a base a kid who loves baseball who got the love beat out of him because the coaches <laughs> were too hard and i guess i'm wondering like did you guys feel a similar thing as child actors uh this kind of pressure um to you know get the approval that pressure of feeling like your creativity was kind of dictated by one voice like as as a child what was that like for you and how have you been able to kind of find a balance as you've grown well <laughs> it was no great pressure. having you both on thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been pretty open about this I mean yeah this yeah. has yeah. been something that I definitely have struggled with and I feel like if I had come to acting as an adult I would I would probably still be acting to this day and really enjoying it. Um, but because I came into it the way I did and had the success I did and within the specific context of our show, um, yeah, I came I came away with a very, um, I think, a, a, a not great approach to acting um, that, you know, I have to take responsibility for. And it wasn't until I really was older and like came to understand what it is, what it means to be an actor in a real sense, um, and then decided they didn't want to do it anymore. So there you go. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I definitely wish I could go back and tell younger writer that he was doing some things really right and to believe in himself and to not, um, to not become insecure about acting. Um, I wish that hadn't happened. I wish, you know, I'd been encouraged to keep going and, and to push myself uh, in other ways, which I did not. Yeah, I don't know. For me, I feel like I started, you know, I wanted to be an actor without having any idea what that meant. I knew nothing about acting. I knew nothing about the craft. I also taking responsibility for the fact that I, although I was taking some acting classes later in life, like in late and by later in life, I mean, you know, at 15 and 16. Um, yeah, later in life. I mean, like in the in later in the show of Boy Meets World, I definitely did start taking some acting classes. But I also was working doing, you know, Boy Meets World full time. And then when summer rolled around, I wanted to go to school and I wanted to go on a family vacation. I wasn't a, a relentless pursuer of an acting career. I didn't want to be an actor, I don't think. And so as much as I walked away from Boy Meets World feeling like I didn't really still know how to act. I knew how to be Topanga, but I didn't know how to act. And I was never fully comfortable with auditioning. And I never really cared so much about it that I was like, I've got to throw myself in there and I'm, I'm just willing to do any. I'll do theater. I'll do this. I just wasn't that person. So I could very 
easily say, yes, I felt very stifled and I felt like only one person had say in whether or not I was doing well. And sure, sometimes that was true. But at the end of the day, I think the fact that my entire acting career is just Topanga was probably more than I could have ever dreamed of and was enough of a of a success that I didn't ever feel the need to relentlessly pursue something more than that. And so I just don't think I ultimately loved acting as much as I thought I would have. I just got lucky enough that I fell in love with Topanga and I got to be that. I, uh, yeah, I, um, I had a little different experience than, than they did on the show. Um, I have never really considered myself an actor. I always consider myself an entertainer. Um, because again, like Danielle, I was never like, I want to learn the craft and, oh, I'm playing a drug addict. So I've got to go actually shoot heroin. Like I've never (laughs) been that guy. I just wasn't. Um, I loved making people laugh. I loved being the center of attention. And I realized kind of early on in the process that if I just did that and kind of block, you know, I took advice and notes and everything around when I thought they I needed them. And other times I just kind of went, OK, and I did my thing. Um, and because of that, I think I left with a maybe a healthier view of acting or entertaining than some of the younger cast members did. But it's also because I was absolutely treated differently. Um, so there was uh, there was that going on. But I. You know, when when I left and found voiceover and, and that's when the actor side of me more took over when I got to do funny voices and multiple voices at the same time. And that's when I really started to love that side of the craft. Other than that, I was the guy put a camera on me and I just want to make you laugh. And I think I'll be that guy for the rest of my life. So. So fantastic. Thank you guys for allowing us to grow up with you again. It's so yeah. amazing to like just see your journey and see where each of you are and to like help like all the fans be a part of it and, and just be witness to it again. It's, it's just a gift that you guys don't know that you're giving. And from a fan perspective, like, like last year, it felt like you guys were just getting comfortable in in the space of Boy Meets World. Now you guys feel like you have full ownership. Like it it appears that way that you guys feel so much more secure and, and confident where you are with your relationship with Boy Meets World. And, you know, that ownership is something that is really apparent. I think now um, that you guys have been doing this for two years, uh, well, two seasons. So Thank, thank you so much. That's really cool. Yeah, thanks, guys. And thank you both for being here and sharing your unique <laughs> and wonderful perspective. And um, you're always so complimentary and make us feel so good about ourselves also. So yeah. thank <laughs> you for making us feel warm and fuzzy. And we will see you again at the end of season three, which we're keeping track. will probably be in about six months. Yep. You guys sped through season two. I know. So I think it's so great. <laughs> it feels like it, right? I know. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully we'll see you before then as well, just personally. Yeah. But also we will see See you again for the recap of season three. Thank you both for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks. Bye, Bye guys. guys. They're so wonderful. Can we make that a series where they just come and just tell us we're awesome for an hour? Yeah, I like that idea. I love that idea. We could do a bonus episode of just Bra Meets World compliments. I think, yeah, no, I think next time (laughs) we have them on, we have to, we have to be like, you guys, come on, give us some criticism. Yeah. Tell us what you you completely disagreed about. I mean, they must disagree with us about. I know. I wish I would have pushed back far harder on when they were like, there was one that we liked that, well, I guess they said the beard. They 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 really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hated not the, like beard. the beard. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And we were probably um, just a little more like, well, 
the obvious overall thought is yeah. pretty apparent. It is right. icky, yes, but. Right, well, it's like, yeah. it's like the Alan Amy stuff. It's like we reached the point where we were like, okay, we don't need to keep bringing up. Right. Yes, like that, we didn't need to. We've said it. People understand. Let's move on. Let's take it for what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to uh, see what we're in for with season three. Yikes. Let's, let's just jump right on in. Thank you all for joining us for this episode of Pod Meets World. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Pod Meets World Show. You can send us your emails, podmeetsworldshow at gmail.com. And like I said at the beginning, we have got new shirts in our merch. Turned on by merch. Ooh. <laughs> Amazing. Podmeetsworldshow.com. And we'll see y'all next time. Writer, send us out. We love you all. Pod dismissed. Pod Meets World is an iHeart podcast produced and hosted by Danielle Fischel, Will Friedle, and Ryder Strong. Executive producers, Jensen Karp and Amy Sugarman. Executive in charge of production, Danielle Romo. Producer and editor, Tara Sudbach. Producer, Jackie Rodriguez. Engineer and Boy Meets World superfan, Easton Allen. Our theme song is by Kyle Morton of Typhoon. You can follow us on Instagram at Pod Meets World Show or send us an email at podmeetsworldshow at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves, and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So, make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. When it comes to Pod Meets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago, and loving Hyundai. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to 303-mile range, available two-way charging, and other category-defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5 is one of the most teched-out electric vehicles ever. And as you know, we are tech heads. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250-plus kilowatt DC fast charger. And with the available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car, backyard or side yard. Hyundai, it's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions, and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. When I'm on my way to drop off the kids at school and I'm on about five hours of sleep and I haven't had my coffee yet, I'm truly one of a kind. Yeah, this sounds like the beginning of a horror movie. It is. But there is one thing I can do immediately to bring some comfort and calm to the situation and keep me moving forward. Eat Keebler Sandies. I like to think that if the good-looking guy was still around, sitting on the couch, comforting himself about not getting into college, he'd ditch the Cocoa Puffs and down some Keebler Sandies instead. Mixed with chocolate syrup? Ooh, why not? When you need a comforting moment for yourself, Keebler Sandies is the perfect treat to keep you going. Each Keebler Sandies shortbread cookie is baked to perfection by the Keebler Elves for a light sweetness and a texture that melts in your mouth. The next time you feel like you're juggling it all, reach for Keebler Sandies shortbread cookies to enjoy a simple moment of comfort.